0: Welcome to Greenish, where Wellness Meets girl boss, empowering you to live your daydream. Join me, Ari,
1: and me, Kate, as we seek the realness from the most admirable entrepreneurs. We'll get the inside scoop about the habits that inspire them, the mission that drives them, and reflection on their roots.
0: Let's get Greenish and talk about what money and kale have in common. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Greenish. We are so excited because today we are joined by Michelle Larravee,
1: founder of Within. You may know Within from popping into their flat iron location in New York or from the cult following they've generated from their wellness products from the Rose Quartz eye mask to the ear seating kit. Michelle's
0: experience with chronic pain, coupled with her personal health transformation through Chinese medicine,
1: inspired her to create Within. Founded in November of 2018, Within is the first omni-channel brand for holistic healing rooted in traditional Chinese medicine. These ancient practices and modern medicinal knowledge pack the most effective punch, and we can't wait for you to hear, Michelle.
0: We are so, so excited to speak with Michelle today about acupuncture, meridians, Eastern versus Western medicine, and preventative health. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm so thrilled to be chatting with you ladies. So let's back up a little bit. Michelle, in the greenish spirit, we like to kick off each episode with a conversation about your roots, your background, your childhood. What did this look like for you? Sure. Uh, well,
2: I was born and raised in Michigan um, and, you know, I'm um, definitely a Midwesterner at heart. Um and I grew up, yeah, kind of in in a family where we really valued spending a lot of quality time together. We love to spend time outside. We also love traveling. Something that I'm really grateful for is that my parents exposed me at a young age to, you know, not just traveling in the US, but also abroad. Um, and then I'm also from a family of entrepreneurs. So from my grandfather to my dad, to my stepmom, you know, I've always been in a family where people have uh, started their own business. So I've always hoped that that was a tradition I'd be able to continue.
0: I love it. Okay, so before things get too serious, I feel like we should all share our first experiences with acupuncture. So
2: my background
0: is in triathlon and I have really, really tight hips. Um, and I remember going to see my chiropractor and he suggested acupuncture and I was immediately like, Nope, no chance. Like I am terrified of needles. That thing is not going into me. Plus it's tiny. Therefore I'm not going to feel it. Therefore I don't want it because then I'm going to know it's there. And like, you know what I mean? (laughs) I was just brain spiraling. And then he finally talked me into it. You know, My mom did the whole like cover your eyes thing, (laughs) did it. And I was night and day better, like kept going to see him for so long after that, I wish I had gone to see you, but alas, I'm from Texas. Um, And it was just like a whole new world after acupuncture. So Kate, Michelle, what were your experiences?
1: My first experience was in high school. I remember like leaving class to go. My mom had like set up the appointment and everyone was like, of course, you're leaving class to get (laughs) acupuncture. Um, (laughs) But I grew up seeing my mom go like twice a week and just how like preventative it was it was never like oh something's wrong like oh I have like an injury like I'm gonna go to acupuncture. like she always just saw it as like the same way that you would see like having like a weekly meeting with someone like it was always just such um how you take like vitamins yes Yes. yeah take like daily vitamins kind of thing yes and I always just thought that was so interesting whereas like so many other practices I feel like are so reactionary. Um and so from that experience, i like, wanted to try it. Um and I went and I loved it. And then now I do like a weekly appointment every week, kind of the same way that she did. Um and so I think not only like do I love it from the experience, but also from the consistency and like how every week I'm like this like Wednesday morning, like I know I have my acupuncture. I know I'm gonna feel great. And it's like the highlight of my week. That's amazing. Um, Your mom was a a wellness pioneer. She was, (laughs) was, I think.
2: (laughs) I love it. Um, And Ari, yeah, totally hear you on fear of needles being real. We see that all all the time. And that's one of the things that we're like constantly trying to educate. And my favorite fact is that you can actually fit 40 acupuncture needles and one hypodermic needle. So like think of the needle that's used to draw blood or give a shot. So that that's where I think beard needles in our culture stems from is that everybody grew up getting vaccinated and like everybody hated it. And so it's 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 a real thing and you're not following that. Well, and,
0: and also I'll, I will say my little sister at the time had told me that the needles were, because she was at my appointment too. She told yeah. me the needles were super, super thin. And she was like, you better not move because it might break off and get so stuck much. in you. And as little sisters do, you know? Yeah. So, yep. Is that possible? Is that a thing? Like, so that's, I was like the <laughs> other,
2: that's the other point about acne needles that I think is worth, um, you know, dispelling on the myth, which is essentially that they're not, um, they're flexible and bendy. So they don't actually break because they bend, um, oh. and that's kind of how practitioners are able to manipulate around key so um, points and, you know, manipulate the tissue and things like that for trigger point release. Uh, so, in addition to not being thick,
0: they're also flexible. Amazing. We're debunking all the myths. All the
2: myths. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Uh, do you my acupuncture experience? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us. Um, so we my I, my first time doing acupuncture was actually after a ski accident. So I was in chronic pain and doing, you know, basically everything, physical therapy, getting trust and injections, taking painkillers and muscle relaxers. Um and nothing was nothing working um until then my doctor actually suggested, okay, oh let's try acupuncture. And at the time I didn't really know anything about it, but was willing to try anything. Um So I tried acne cancer and the pain relief was immediate, which is amazing. Uh, And I was able to then also stop taking pain and muscle relaxers. And then kind of as I was going, I became like eight and started setting up for weekly sessions because I also realized that I was sleeping better. I was less stressed. You know, this time of year when it's cold and everyone's sick, like you really notice that you have a stronger immune system and aren't getting sick as often. Um, so that was and then I guess fast forward a year or so later and um acupuncture was able to and herbal supplements were able to help through some fertility issues to successfully get pregnant. So it was it was really a transformative journey within just like the first few weeks and then like you know, kind of to what you were talking about earlier, but there's a cumulative effect, and so you just start to see how you know, the different parts of the body are connected and it wasn't just the physical health it was helping with my mental health as well. And um, it felt really empowering that I was actually doing
1: something more proactively for myself. Your story is so interesting too, because holistic medicine, especially in our society, isn't a lot of people's first resort. Like with Big Pharma running the show, most people come to medicine is kind of like a last resort, like this cry of desperation because they've heard through like the grapevine that Mm -hmm. it works and it does. And then they never turn back. And I really relate to like the cumulative effect. And I think one way to describe the way I feel like after going to within is like balanced and it's just a time to check out and take like a little acu-nap and just let your body heal itself Before we dive into within, for someone that's never been to acupuncture, how frequently would someone schedule an appointment to see like that maximum efficiency?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a tough question to answer completely blanket statement, just because it's really um, custom to an individual's health goals. And, you know, if you're coming in for cycle regulation um, or fertility, it's very different than if you're we're in a car accident and are in chronic pain and we to come a couple times a week. But I'd say just for like basic guidelines, we typically will see clients coming in for the first month um, or even six weeks, once a week, to really establish your baseline, start to see some of the physiological changes happening, and then after that point, it, so it just also takes a step back. All of our treatment plans are personalized to the individual and to their you know treatment goals, and so there's a deep consultation with the um, with the acupuncturist. It typically also includes you know, herbal formulas and things like that. But I would say the first six weeks is kind of the initiation period. And then more of a long-term maintenance plan is established after that. And what we see our average clients come in about two times a month. Uh, and I, I think people would come in weekly if they could, but I honestly think it's more of like a time issue <laughs> than anything. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, very minimum to see like results on a regular basis is monthly. Kate knows what she's doing. (laughs) She definitely does.
0: Um, Okay. So now for the million dollar question, who should be getting acupuncture? Like, is this for moms, high intensity athletes, people with chronic pain? Can 20 year olds get it? Can 16 year olds get it? Like you're currently speaking to the 20 somethings in 40 different countries around the world. Who should be getting this?
2: Yes, is my answer to all of that. (laughs) Yes, everybody should be getting acupuncture. Um, And I know that that's kind of like a a easy response to just say like, there's not really anybody who shouldn't be getting acupuncture, but if you take it the angle, um, this is actually like your healthcare, not just like self-care or something that's like nice to have. And if you're really looking at it from like, what can I do to keep myself healthy? So I, you know, stress doesn't turn into anxiety, you know, like our sore muscles from working out don't turn into a muscle tear or like, you know, worse of an injury, then you're thinking from that like preventative ones, Um, you know, it really is good for anybody. And then I think, you know, just knowing, knowing the listeners and things like that, I think like 20s is a really great time to start getting acupuncture. Um, as a woman, you can do a lot in terms of cycle regulation and balance. And that really fuels a lot of your overall health. We actually do a ton with digestive health, which is also, I think, a really um, kind of top of top of um, line concern for... I was
0: going to say anyone on social media nowadays knows hot girl bloat, hot Hot girl girl digestion issues.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's like... 100% hundred percent trending all the time um, and bring people to our studio. And then I also think just like mental health and gender, all like really focusing. And that's what I love about acupuncture that I never really found. I'm, like, as someone who used to always look out a lot, and I'd started to do some yoga know, meditation work, obviously have physical needs, but mental health but, as well. But I feel like that can kind of take it to the next level because, you know, for us, is like the root cause of half of the deficit issues that we see too, or people like don't necessarily know
1: that. So. You started yeah. within with your co-founder, um, Dr. Sherry Auth, and we'll get into this a little bit more, um, but you've both spoken at length about getting out of this kind of reactionary medicine realm. And then when asked where to start, you've spoken about the value of getting in touch with the feedback loop of activities and how they made you feel. So in other words, if you want to dive into the world of preventative medicine, but aren't sure what to prevent, you should just stop and listen to your body. So like eating breakfast, writing how that breakfast made you feel, calling a friend, how did that conversation make you feel? Going into work on a Monday morning, how did that make you feel? And just like you said, like, are you stressed? Is your digestion struggling? Your body is giving you all of these signs. And we bring this up in today's world because we're inundated with information. Brands and social media and everything is just telling you what you need, like this protein powder, this greens blend, this supplement. We've gotten so far from the simple nature of listening to our bodies and within completely challenges this.
0: No, Kate, you're you're so right. And okay, getting and connecting this to within even more. Your tagline is ancient healing for modern life. And something that differentiates within is literally how fun it is. Like Kate and I were talking about this before this episode. It's more of like a spa than this cold clinical experience, you know, but it's good for you like a doctor's appointment, but it doesn't feel like one at all. You know, like it takes this beautiful ancient practice, blends it with innovation, the ear seed kit, the acupuncture, acupressure mats. Um, the face cupping kit, the rose quartz eye mask, you truly brought this ancient practice out from behind closed doors and you made it accessible. You made it visual through social media, which is beautiful by the way. Um, So (laughs) how did you decide on the branding of Within and the idea to blend these two concepts?
2: Yeah, no, great question. And probably like one of my more favorite things to talk about is like the most fun part about kind of coming up with the concept and idea is how do you bring it um, all to life? And so I think, you know, fundamentally what we were trying to do, we knew that we weren't inventing the medicine or the product. We will really, and our whole mission is around accessibility. So how do we take something that's time-tested proven by science, been around for literally thousands of years because it worked, but, you know, we kind of looked at like, what are some of the key barriers? Why isn't something that's this powerful and this kind of Why hasn't that become, you know, really mainstream, you know, here in the US? It's obviously, it's around um, and it's a part of kind of broader cultural awareness, but it's just not really mainstream. And so for us, the branding was all about um you know, there's a few core pillars that we really knew that we wanted to stand for as a brand. So, you know, the first is we were really trying to build trust because it's super important that we're going to introduce people to acupuncture and be sticking needles in their body that they had to feel really good about the quality of the practitioners, the fact that we're doing, you know, our own training on top of their already rigorous training. So, You know, that was kind of like our foundation was like all things that build trust. So providing education about the science, the culture and the history, the conditions and use cases. Uh, So all of that falls into the trust and kind of like baseline category for the brand. Um, And then the second aspect for us that was really important kind of who we are as a brand is that. You know, we recognize that our clients are coming to us for issues that they could be really vulnerable with, right? Like you're trying to get pregnant, you're in pain, you're, you know, like, stomach is bloated and you're feeling horrible and nothing working for you. Like these are issues that people feel vulnerable about. So we want to create a space where they felt safe, where it was truly welcoming, where it's like very hospitality forward. Uh, and so, so that's kind of like the second aspect, and you see that um you know, co- kind of come to life in some of the choices that we made around the branding. It's It was also like, you don't want people to just like feel bad or be embarrassed or be ashamed. So we wanted to add a little bit of an element of fun too. Yeah. So like, that's why we chose, you know, some fun names for the product or, you know, some of the packaging, things like that. So you kind of see that cost out and it comes to life, um, in real life a lot through the training that we give our studio team and all of that. Um, And then I think the third aspect that we wanted to reflect in the branding was the fact that like, and I spoke about this in terms of how Acupuncture helped me, but we really see radical transformation when people help every day, every week, and so we didn't want something that just felt like, Fixed and cold and clinical. We wanted, like, that's why, like, the feet swirl and kind of like all of that, that just showcases the fluidity of hell. And then, lastly, our name is within is reflective of how the medicine actually works. So it's changed, you know, it's tapping into your body's
1: natural healing capabilities and the change actually coming from within. all really do build trust in such like. A unique way, and I even remember being in New York for the summer, being like at work and feeling so bloated. Like you just talked about, like the vulnerability of issues that people come to you for. And I remember like going on my phone and being like, "I'm booking within right now." Like the fact that that was my first resort as like a customer, I think says so much. Um, and so Flatiron is your flagship location. Um, I love Flatiron in the city, and I'm curious how you decided on this neighborhood.
2: Yeah, uh, so Flatiron we picked because it's it's a little bit funny now because things have changed so much since the pandemic, but rewind to 2019, and Flatiron for us is really the epicenter of wellness in New York. So. Uh, You know, it's where the fitness was happening, where all kind of the food innovations were happening, lots of wellness retail, like aloe and Lululemon, and things like that. And then also just like a great neighborhood where people live, work and play is what we call it. Um, And so it kind of had everything going for it. Easy access to the trains, centrally located, which is also great from a first location. So you're going to be drawing people from downtown and uptown and Brooklyn from that aspect. so for us, it really had basically everything that you would want in a neighborhood, and uh, you know, I would say that shifted a bit in the pandemic because a lot of it was office traffic. If people are working from home and have like a little bit of a different vibe, but I think a lot of it is still the same. We do tug with partnerships with other iron brands in terms of you know offering perks
1: to our members or perks for their members. Um, so it's a great centrally located dipping um, and for our listeners. If you book a with an appointment, let's say it's in the evening, go next door to Honey Brains before because that is the absolute best. And I used to do that, and I would just wait and go to Honey Brains for dinner, and then wait until it was time for my appointment. And it was like two favorite places in one.
0: I'm obsessed love, yeah, with yeah, Honey Brains. It's so good, good. so yep. good.
1: I that whole area is
0: just like, ah,
1: yes. Can I just live right there?
0: <laughs> actually, no. If I did that, I'd be broke all the time. <laughs> um, okay. So let's talk about the timeline of Within. So I know it took you and your co-founder about two years to build Within. And it actually took Kate and I almost a full year to build Greenish. And I know one year versus two is pretty pretty different, but still I think there's something to be said for just like the immense care, the level of calculation, the intense, um, attention that goes into building something so personal to you. Kate, do you have anything to add to
1: that? Yeah. I'm so curious what this two year period was like for you. Like, was it totally head down and focus? What was like the biggest doubt also that crossed your mind within this period?
2: Yeah. Um, so I would say I definitely took the approach. I was a bit later in my career. I was post-MBA, a couple years. I was actually pregnant at the time. And so I was very much like, okay, I'm not 21 and I can't just like do whatever I want without thinking about some of the consequences. Um, so what I wanted to do when I was testing out the idea was just put in place a structure so that I could like, know, that I was on track or on track. And not get into one of these positions where I like look back and was like, oh my gosh, if we like five years later, this is not what I, you know, thought it would be or where I wanted it to be. Um, and I know you guys are in entrepreneurship programs at school too, but I had during my MBA been a part of um, an entrepreneurship uh, venture program. And so it just took some of the learnings from that to actually apply to how I wanted to to go about starting with an N. Um, and then the one, you know, I think another interesting element was we're building how large flow wall spaces in New York. So that just requires like a baseline level of capital that a lot of businesses don't need or don't need at all like in one kind of, pump. Uh, so fundraising was a really big part of the journey as well. Um, but I would say, I mean, I started with like very much research phase that was like, what is the demand? Like, what is the market size? Like, what is the potential of this? Um, and then also, what are all of the factors on the supply side that would need to also be true in terms of, you know, how many acupuncturists there are in this country? What are all the different products? Where can we source herbs from? Um, Things like that. So kind of went through market research phase, talked to a lot of customers, talked to a lot of acupuncturists. Uh, and then from there you know, felt really great about the opportunity that I had uncovered that there was that data to back up what was just like my personal customer vibe and experience and like hypothesis. Um, and then from there, kind of went about putting on paper an actual business plan um, to understand, okay, this is what it would actually look like in practice and built out a model to show that the economics were also possible so that the business could be successful. Uh, financially as well, not just, you know, from like a, a brand love standpoint. Um, and then once all of that was kind of sorted out, did a little bit of initial work on the branding because like so much of what we're doing is branding as we already talked about, just to start to really uncover what the customer could look like and what the brand could feel like and, you know, all of that. And then once I had all of that, I was then able to package it into an investor deck and go out and start the fundraising process. Um, And then that took, you know, a little bit of time and always takes longer than you want it to. But that's just the nature of fundraising. And then um, we did our build out, which took, I think, about 12 months. Ago. I'm sorry, that called 12 weeks.
0: This season is all about founding a philosophy. Like that is our theme for this season. And I want to talk about how one of the main reasons why you're on this season is because you revolutionized this century old concept. Like you not only brought this concept into our modern society, but you also got people to not just like it, but become obsessed with it. Can you talk about that process? Because that's quite literally something that you had to build from the ground up. And I think that also lends itself to your timeline. You know, like spending two years on something like this, you're not just thinking about the branding. You're not just thinking about how do we get a space in New York? You're thinking about, okay, how do I get people to adopt this and understand it like we are trying to... Like we want them to understand it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no. Um. Well, thank you for that. I love that. That's like what we... Like our entire our entire mission and we're all working towards is getting people to be as excited about it. But I honestly think that it all starts with how we make people feel like literally physically mentally like just this concept of which I found the brand name this idea of radical transformation and so that's why I would spend so much of our time just on the entire end-to-end experience so our actual flat experience it's it's not just you know a room we're getting needles; it's a whole experience or we have aromatherapy we you know we're thoughtful with the artwork and the greenery and the plants and we have we created custom sound meditations so people really get the deepest possible feeling in each treatment. Um, And the same with all of our products. We spend a huge amount of time testing our products, sourcing different herbs, trialing different combinations and things like that. Um, And then I think so for us, it's really like we feel really confident in terms of the quality and the efficacy of any of our products or services. So it's really how do we just get them into the hands of new people and how do we get people to try them? Um, and then I think, you know, there's also an aspect of, um, you know, just explaining the Eastern medicine philosophy and how do you create a lifestyle? And I think also having what we have, what's really unique, is we have these in-person services that we can pair with a daily routine. So you're taking your supplements on a daily basis. You're using your acupressure bat for 10 minutes before you go to bed. I have my body-cutting kit here that I'm like basically wearing all day while on my computer. Um, so I think having that whole lifestyle, and that's truly how Chinese medicine works, is it is a multimodal approach where it's not just get a treatment once a month and kind of forget about it. It's what are you doing every day to optimize your health? Um, but I do think that that also helps because it gives people... Uh, it you know, reminds people about the brand and it also gives them different ways to engage with us as well. Um, and then I think lastly, we just like try to make it really easy for people to share whether that's, you know, hanging us on a TikTok reel or Instagram or, you know, providing educational content that they can um, learn more from. So we found that our customers really create education and information. Um, and so we try to really be that source or, um, our customers. And then, yeah, lastly, we have a great referral program that we see a ton of... Um, a ton of our, that's our biggest source of new clients and customers. friends.
0: I love it. I love the strategy. I think you guys are just so brilliant and so strategic with everything you do. So, okay. I want to go back to what you said a bit, um, a little bit earlier. You said it all starts with how you make people feel. So acupuncture and a visual. Kate and I were talking through this before this episode and we think of it as kind of like a street drain, you know, like clogged with leaves where water is trying to get through where it can, but it's just not able to flow freely. And for the same reason, you can think of the meridians in your body, how they can get clogged and how energy isn't properly flowing. Now we want to talk through this concept because a lot of our listeners are probably not familiar with this. So what is a meridian? How do these meridians get out of balance? And how would acupuncture address an underlying imbalance like hormones, for example?
2: Yeah. Um, And I think one of the things that's really exciting too is where we are in general um, with research around the field. So there's been a ton of research for years about acupuncture versus a placebo, acupuncture versus a certain drug for depression, acupuncture, you know. Things like that, but what we have uncovered in the last four or five years, and there's great research coming out of uh, Harvard, Vermont, the Cleveland Clinic, that actually explains at a deeper level how the physiological changes are happening um, that acupuncture will work. So the meridians, there's 12 different meridians, they're the lines across throughout the body that the acupuncture points are located on. Um, and so they're kind of a guide for how an acupuncturist can find some of the points. But what um, I like to just say, there's basically four main buckets of how acupuncture can work. And of course, it's broader than that because acupuncture uh, and herbal supplements and all of that are recognized by the World Health Organization to treat, I think it's like hundreds of conditions. So again, there's multiple ways, but uh, so the acupoints themselves are now known to be part of the fascial network, which is essentially the body's internal messenger system. And so when a point is activated, you know, it might be on your wrist or on your foot or something like that, but that specific point triggers a response to the fascial network to the brain, which could be, for example, balancing hormones. So in the case of stress, it could be, it tells the brain to reduce production of cortisol, like stress hormone, and to increase production of cortisol and dopamine, which are happy hormones. And that essentially then helps with the feeling of less stress and broader well-being. Um, so that kind of balancing hormones is one of the key categories. And another good example of how your um, hormonal chemistry can change through Chinese medicine is with pain. So acupuncture can stimulate the release of endorphins or endorphins, which are our body's natural painkillers. Um, so it can send those to the localized point where you're feeling the sensation of pain. Uh, so that's the big bucket is hormones. The second area is increasing circulation, which, you know, a lot of pain and inflammation in different areas of the body can result from poor circulation. And so by increasing the general blood flow throughout the body, you can start to alleviate a lot of different symptoms. Um, And then I'd say kind of a last area that's actually maybe more obvious than even the first two areas is a direct needle into a place of tension. So like a a muscle knot or, um, or something like that. And then, you know, it'll make sense because the needle will go into your shoulder and it'll be manipulated and you'll feel the
1: muscle jump and release and you'll feel a lot better after that as well. That outbolt, yes, so so helpful, and I think within this, something I'm very curious about is that 50% of your clients have never had acupuncture before, which I think speaks so much to what we were talking about with like brand trust and transparency, and really the educational component. I noticed whenever I'm in the studio that there's diagrams of the body's meridians and the chakras all over the walls, and I probably have like 10 pictures on my phone of these diagrams that I've taken when I've been sitting in like the waiting room at within, um, because I feel like I learn so much and it all just comes together and makes so much sense. So within this scientific approach, how do you make this educational component core?
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, we, spend a lot of time with our customers trying to understand like what are their key questions and we see you know trends and terms of these are key questions and things like that so i think that helps guide some of the content strategy um one of them is even like the fact that needles are not needles (laughs) right it's like a totally different experience um but yeah I, i mean i think we know that there's like the certain areas that are really important so there's Definitely the science. There's also definitely the history, the tradition, the culture, um, you know, the use cases. Because that's one of the things I would say is probably sounds obvious, but is actually the most powerful that we're doing is a lot of people just have no idea. Like people, I think, think of acupuncture kind of to your earlier point as a last resort, but like only for maybe like pain after an injury or maybe like, you know, kind of last resort on a fertility journey. Um, but have no idea all of the other benefits. So I think we spent a lot of time trying to really share, like, you know, it's not just chronic pain. It might be tension headaches, so much time at your computer or, you know, recovery for athletes that are training for, you know, a marathon or things like that. Or, just, you know, all of the different mental health aspects. That's like really new. And then I'd say post pandemic, we're in a world too, where people are thinking really differently about. Their health and trying to be a lot more proactive. Uh, and th- that's where, and this is like really what our big dream is preventative care and not being like the first thing that people think of for coming to us versus like the last resort. Uh, so just so educating I, on like what that looks like, how it works. Et so
0: you've said that acupuncture is a way for you to show up to be the best you can be, you know, for your family, for your friends, for your job, et cetera. What are some other wellness practices you incorporate in your own routine to be the best version of yourself?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. Um, I mean, I I would say in addition to acupuncture, I literally live by my within routine of acupressure mats at home 10 minutes before bed every night because it helps um it just helps you fall asleep better and also just helps unwind from the rest of the day. Um and then I take. Like different herbal supplements all day, every day. Um, and my current one with winter skin is our Daily Glow, which is a um, uh, just a skin health formula that just helps with also acne, but fine lines wrinkles, and brings more moisture to the skin. Um, Your skin but- is actually glowing, okay. so it I- works.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it definitely works. <laughs>
2: Amazing. Um, and then i I think. You know, I've started to do a lot on meditation, I think is really important. Just like bringing that, I think it also helps me as a founder, just, you know, being able to like pause and then, uh, kind of go through with different, different activities. Um, you know, exercise for me has always just been foundational to, um, my self-care routine as well. Um, and then I think something that this is my goal for this year that I know, our acupuncturists talk about a lot, which is um, establishing a really clear sleep routine. Um, so, just trying to build that as a
1: habit as well. Um, a I
0: need to work on that
2: one.
1: <laughs> Not <laughs> easy. I'm super curious. Um, I know you started your career in investment banking, and I'm going into IB post grad, then hope to pivot. To the entrepreneurship path after gaining the skill set the same way that you did, I know so many listeners are questioning the same thing. They're wondering, like, do I go into investment banking? Should I look into consulting roles? Maybe even working for a startup and then taking these experiences and creating their own business. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah.
2: Well, first of all, congrats! Amazing that you have the offer and are know what you're doing in the fall. Um, but yeah, I mean, I obviously it's like the path I know because that's what I've done. So I, yeah, sorry to comment on other paths, but I really believe that investment banking or consulting, I would say the same things. So I actually did a couple of years of consulting post MBA as well. So I'd speak to both. Um, but I think one or the other, there's no better training ground for essentially whatever you want to do. So I kind of think a minute of like, business boot bootcamp. Uh, but you really get just an excellent foundation. The standards are like so, so high. Um, and you're dealing with, you know, front page like news stories and things like that. So you just get an excellent sense of uh, professionalism. I think you get really great communications training and that's communications across all channels. So you, you know, interact with different people in the bank, you interact with clients early on. Um, you know, email, all of that, you just get like an amazing foundation. You also learn a ton from a strategic thinking perspective because you're working with companies on like really important problems to them. And you have to question kind of like a lot of time, you spend a lot of time building models and in the numbers and things like that. But like there's always a strategic layer. And so working with um, the different members of the team and with the clients directly, you start to really understand strategy early on, too, which I think is really invaluable. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, also just like working in a high-stress, high-pressure environment, like you really learn how to multitask, how to like meet deadlines, how to communicate if you're not going to meet a deadline, how to project manage. And I think all of those are valuable no matter what you do. So I think you just get like an amazing... I mean, it's not going to be like the easiest couple of years. There's a lot of late nights. At least there was when I was doing it. Um but I think it's so worth it, and it kind of sets you up to do essentially whatever you want to do, whether it's in finance or something totally different. And then I guess lastly, an add too: if you are thinking about entrepreneurship, it's amazing. So it teaches you how capital markets work too, and it I think gives you just a better understanding for fundraise If you're going to build, for example, you have to build a model with a business plan, you have to build a pitch deck. So all of
1: those things that uh, you just inherently know how to do. It's super helpful, and also helpful to hear your experience, I guess, from looking back instead of talking to people currently in it, or, um, just kind of the information you're inundated with when you're still in college, but really looking at someone like you that we look up to and hearing it from your perspective. So that's super helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, taking it back a little bit to Eastern and Western medicine, Um, I know this is something our listeners really want to hear. I first learned this difference when I would leave like middle school to go to a kinesiologist or a naturopath or an acupuncturist. And I was like, I don't even know the difference. I don't really know what this is doing. I was so young and I would take like 20 supplements and just, it just, People around me were always asking me, like, what are those? Why do you take so many herbs? Like, it was just the way that I was raised, like in my family. And I had no idea that this wasn't common in the US. So, for a listener that's maybe never heard of this terminology before, much less knows the difference, will you share what they need to know?
2: Sure. I mean, Complicated question, and also like I just want to acknowledge that there are lots of different types of Eastern medicine uh, as well as Western medicine. So I can answer a little bit from what we see at Within, but like I definitely wouldn't consider that a comprehensive answer to the question. Um, So maybe just I think to tackle this aspect of preventative care because that's what stands out to me as. Really, the biggest difference, like I actually think healthcare in our country, and I've worked in the healthcare industry for fifteen years, is like sick care. It's not actually healthcare; it's sick care. And so that's what I think the biggest difference is: is like the entire system of medicine and Chinese medicine is about how to be healthy, how to optimize your everyday, how to foster longevity, so that you can live, you know, not just a longer life, but like a longer, healthier, happier life. Uh, And I don't think any of that is really in the dialogue uh, of traditional Western medicine. I think it's changing um, very slowly, but I think there are pockets for that's happening. But, you know, I think most people think of, you get sick if you go to the doctor here. Um, and I think one of the my favorite ways to visualize what this looks like is that traditionally in China, you would actually pay your Chinese medicine practitioner for well visits. So to keep you healthy, and then the minute that you got sick, you actually stopped paying. you still go, but you weren't paying until they got you healthy. Again. Yeah. So it's literally the opposite of how healthcare is. What country. an
1: insane concept. Can we just take a second on that? It's so interesting because we, we <laughs> profit off of being unwell.
0: My mind is so blown.
1: Yes, we literally do. So yeah. I'm curious what your take on wow. that is even to take it like a step further. What if like similar to <laughs> placing, I guess people over profits and doctors focusing on well-being? like what do you think, you know, our country would look like? Like how do you think that would flow through like everything that we do?
0: Yeah. Do you think that's actually a feasible structure for how we could change the face of healthcare and make it l- not sick care
2: yeah i mean i i do i truly believe that and that's like i think within has a role to play in part of that too but i think it's like i think it's a longer term there's, it's a very complicated you know very expensive structure with a lot of people that had a lot of vested interest uh and i worked with a number of different companies in terms of insurance companies in terms of implementing wellness programs for their populations, because they can see what a big drop it has in some of their costs that they actually help their population. You know, for example, like the diabetes population, and they can add, uh, you know, some of the factors that are wellness related that, you know, they can be a lot less expensive of the patient, but then they also are, are healthier. Um but I don't think it has to be like people or profit. Like I definitely think there's a way in which the system can function where we can have successful businesses and doctors be successful professionals, and they, um, but they still, you know, are able to have a sustainable business as well. Uh, it's just like the way the incentive structure is set up today that you know feels like that might be the case, but. You know, I think employers have started to recognize the aspect of supporting wellness and they're the ones that pay for health care. So that's a positive sign because that means, you know, there's more productive employees, fewer sick days, call it like all of that. Insurance companies are starting to recognize it because they know that their costs are skyrocketing. I think it's like 80% of costs for insurance, 85% come from like 2% of the like the ones that have like the highest chronic ongoing costs. And a lot of that's rentable. Um Obesity, diabetes, like those are the issues that our country is like really struggling with that really uh, drive up the cost in their healthcare system. Um, and then I think there's like exciting kind of emerging pockets of integrative health that are showing up and trying to be successful too. Uh, you know, we're a part of an integrative health center in NOA with Mount Sinai and other more traditional medical providers. That's been great for us just to be in the healthcare environment and start to really understand okay, like what would it take so that we can also um, work towards that goal of preventative care as well. Uh, but then what does that look like? I mean, I just think it's, it's wild. I mean, I think preventative care means fewer diseases, fewer disabilities, longer lives, not just longer lives, but happier, healthier lives, um, a more productive society. Um, and then like just so much illness that doesn't have to happen, you know what I mean? So it's like catch things early and then, you know, um, stress, like casual everyday stress doesn't become anxiety, doesn't become panic attacks, doesn't then manifest as like physical illness, like all of that can be prevented. I work in, um,
0: childhood obesity prevention Research specifically, um so I think this conversation totally lends itself to a lot of the work that I am hoping to do in this space. and I completely agree with what you were saying. I think there's so many moving parts, and this is such a big conversation, but I also agree with your point in that a lot of the you know like, like the insurance providers, doctors, like just even general population individuals are recognizing that what we're doing now isn't working. We can't wait to the last minute and pay all of this money to fix a problem that's not going to fix itself overnight that you could have actually prevented for a fourth of the amount of a fourth of the cost. And I think a lot of it is education. I think a lot of it is just like this understanding of like how we treat our health, how we treat ourselves. Like people are just investing in themselves more for the long run. Like as we continue to live longer, we're realizing, okay, maybe if I take better care of myself and do these smaller things a little bit earlier, then I won't have to pay all of that down line, You know, So I think our generation is having these conversations, which makes me hopeful. And I think, I really, really hope that one day we get past that sick care phrase and actually make it what we were talking about prior. But Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a process. I think it's a lot of conversations, but I'm hopeful because I think the conversations are happening now, even if they're just, even if it's not everybody, even even if it's just some people that are having them.
1: For all of our listeners, in case you're new here, our episodes will always start and end the same. Just like you heard us talk about Michelle's roots at the beginning of the episode, we'll end by talking about her experience during the most influential and outright crazy time in her life, her 20s.
0: Since our listenership is primarily college students and those in their early careers, we want to center this last segment on them. And because those years tend to fly by, this is also more of a speed round with questions. Michelle, are you ready? Sure. What would your 20-year-old self guess you would be doing today? probably
2: still working in finance because I actually loved my time in finance and didn't think that I
1: was necessarily going to be doing that. What is a lesson you've learned from your co-founder, Dr. Sherry?
2: Oh, so many lessons because she is, um, you know, she's our technical expert and a, a true healer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think from her, I really learned the importance of herbal supplements. Kind of these like at home daily, like that wellness is like the garden that you have to kind of foster. It doesn't just like happen to you; like you have to take an active role in your wellness. Um, they use the herbal supplements of the garden, garden as well because she's really got. What is something
0: you would have done differently when first starting within?
2: Um, I, you know, I think I for a while. What, what's the phrase? Um, analysis paralysis. You know what I mean? So I think like perfection is the enemy of good. Like, I definitely would have like just like tried things a little faster and like made some quicker decisions. What was the biggest
1: lesson you learned from fundraising? <laughs>
2: um Biggest, I mean, I think the biggest lesson is like fundraising is like a marriage, and you definitely want people in bed with you, like we went through a pandemic after our first year of getting started. And if I didn't have people that were, you know really understanding good people, you know I think it would have been horrible but I was fortunate that I had like great investors that understood the impact on the business and like hurt with us to figure out what we could do to survive. So yeah, I would don't just take money from anyone like make sure they
0: get the right people. So one time Kate told me she went to within for some digestive problems and they recommended some warming foods, which just goes to show how within goes beyond even just acupuncture to like a realistic lifestyle recommendation.
2: So what are some of your go-to warming and cooling foods? Yeah, well, this is cold season. So it's all about warming right now. And my acupuncturist saw him at the smoothie last week and gave me a <laughs> 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 kind of like, to um, So Right now, it's like all about warming foods. But I think uh, one thing that's really big in Chinese medicine that I love, when you're sick, it's a main thing. But like I actually have it in a Placement for tea uh, or just as like that's a it. snack, but bone broth. So like chicken bone broth, beef bone broth, or like definitely like veggie options too. Um, but that's like a go-to that I'd really come to appreciate through Chinese medicine. Um, and then I'd also say uh, you know, like curries have been like a really big staple. Um so you can pack in a lot of vegetables and are you know the um the heat from the themselves are those are actually like herbs that are in it that have anti-inflammatory powers and things like
1: that so i've been spending a lot of time how do you set intention for the day
2: yeah i mean easier said than done but i try every day to like take a moment before i start and just like look at my calendar and like figure out what i want my goal to be like at the end of the day um and then like cut anything not related to that so that by the end of the day, it feels more purposeful. And I'd also say, I actually don't like to set intention daily, but I like to do it at like longer periods of time because that was actually one of the best pieces of advice that someone gave me is that like you try to get everything done or, you know, particular if I'm thinking about like, I have two small kids, I have um, within, you know, all of those things. I like often, if I'm looking just at a day, like might feel like, I'm not doing enough for anybody, but if I look at a longer period of time, like a week or a month, even I would feel better about kind of setting my goals and then that life.
0: That is so profound and honestly, really nice to hear because I feel like I definitely like that definitely resonates with me for sure.
2: Yeah. It was, it was a game changer for me and kind of thinking that way. I'm yeah. like, okay, like I don't have to show up at my son's kindergarten, like every day in the week for it to be successful. But if I go like once a week or once a month, then I like still feel like I'm, I'm doing it. Um, and say, you know, other, even like friend obligations.
0: All right. So what is next for within? Give us a little sneak peek.
2: Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, we're at a, 2023 is going to be an awesome year. We're so excited. We're going to be opening new locations in New York, which is exciting. Um, and then we're also really expanding our product footprint. So we had just launched in George drama over holiday, which we sold out. So that was like a super exciting, mm-hmm. yep. super exciting moment. And then we're, so we have a bunch of kind of larger retailer partnerships. So getting our product.
1: Nationally, um lots of lots of brand awareness this year. We're so excited. Um, we end every episode with the greenish goal. So, Michelle, what is one goal you recommend our listeners set from mental health to founding a company to mastering your wealth?
2: Yeah. so I really just kind of looking back on what has been really a game changer for me is, I think everybody should live abroad at some point in their life. And I mean more for like a meaningful period of time, maybe like years. But I think um, you know, on vacation it's hard to really fully absorb another culture or another way of life. Um, and I think that by and that could be study abroad, that could be work abroad, that could be you know, a volunteer trip where you're spending a meaningful amount of time. Um, but I just find that, you know, it, it's it's when I'm outside of this country, that I discover so many new things that can be really inspirational, make new connections, um, and then also just give me a perspective, a different perspective on my own life, you know, day to day as well. But I think you know, can that's usually what I'll have ideas about. Um, actually, it was on my honeymoon in Thailand that I decided to pursue the idea for within. So. <laughs>
0: I love it. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for your time today. This was such a fantastic conversation. And I'm so excited
1: for all of our listeners to hear more. Michelle, we love speaking with you. You have so much profound wisdom in both wellness and business, and we can't wait for our listeners to hear.
2: Amazing. Thank you guys for having me. It was wonderful chatting with both of you. And hopefully I'll see you guys with new one sometime.
0: Thank you guys so much for
1: listening to today's episode. You can find anything we mentioned today linked in our show notes.
0: And if you want more, go to our website at www.agreenishlife.com.
1: We'll see you next time on Greenish.